0: At the time of this recording, America has witnessed another senseless killing of a black person by the police. As a matter of fact, in the past 30 days, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor have all been killed, lynched by the police. Today is a somber day in America and a lot of people, especially Black Americans, are feeling down, are feeling the pressure. So I found it fitting to release my conversation with my good friend and social rights justice, Reverend Shania Leonard. And while our conversation deals mainly with their work in the queer community, we do talk about Blacks in this country. I hope that you'll listen to this conversation. I hope that you learn and I hope that it prompts you to do something. Because frankly, I'm tired of the hashtags. I'm tired of the fruitless prayers. I'm tired of feeling this way. And we must do something to change. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest this week, Reverend Shania Leonard. Shania is a modern day abolitionist, pastor, teacher, consultant, community activist and justice warrior. Shania has been an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church for over 12 years. A native of Philadelphia, they received their BA from the University of Pittsburgh and their masters in divinity from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. They've been serving communities and congregations in various capacities for over 15 years. Pastor Leonard has done extensive work with urban areas to eradicate systemic oppression in the areas of race, gender, Sexual orientation, and socioeconomic despair, and has spent time during international outreach in Africa, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. Furthermore, they are also the moderator of the Pastor's Council for the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries, a global network of faith leaders and communities with an affirming theology. Shania believes that God has given them a burden for people whom others have disregarded, oppressed, forgotten, or simply don't even see. Shania's bio is much longer, and Shania has done many impressive things in their career. I encourage you to check out my website, at atthetablewithbethruffin.com, to learn more about their work. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by The Course of Your Dreams, So you've got some content you're ready to monetize, but you're not sure where to start? As a course creator in education for over 10 years, Tamika Washington has built courses and curriculum that engage leaders with a variety of tools to measure learning. Join her for her free webinar, The Course of Your Dreams, Make Money in Your Sleep, where you'll learn the six steps to creating an engaging, effective course that yields results for your learners. Text the word COURSE to 31996 to gain access. Again, text the word COURSE, that's C-O-U-R-S-E, to 31996 to gain access to the course. Shania, welcome to the table. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Beth. Yes, yeah, good to have you. So for my listeners, you all should know that Shania and I have been friends for over 20 years right yeah
1: it's been about that long you were my babysitter
0: oh here we go (laughs) if you can't already tell y'all this is going to be probably an extremely hilarious episode but we're going to have we're going to learn some things too which is good absolutely Um, so yeah so can you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do
1: Sure. Well, when I'm not pole dancing, I am Reverend Shania Leonard. I am actually <laughs> from Philadelphia, <laughs> and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, there, I serve as the um, like the National Associate for Gender and Racial Justice, or Associate for Gender and Racial Justice, for the Presbyterian denomination. Which means my job focuses primarily on racism, um, gender justice, particularly around the areas of LGBTQIA plus justice and reproductive justice, and then also um, I'm I have been
0: um, a pastor and an activist um, on justice issues. And so, when you talk about gender issues and justice issues, tell us a little bit more about what that means.
1: So, what that means is that I do the work I do the work of justice both in my private life and in my vocation. And my vocation, I'll say LGBTQIA+, because that is the official term that the Presbyterian Church uses. And so my job is to build programming, um, liturgy, writings, resources, um, workshops, all of those things around education and advocacy for LGBTQIA justice issues within the church and around the church. And then and that also concerns racism as well. I do anti-racism trainings. I do um, all kinds of work around making sure that there's equity and equitable resources available for those particular groups, and and also educating um, the my, um, white folks when it comes to okay. when it comes to my private life. Um, I do queer justice in various ways, and reproductive justice in various ways to make sure that um, the voices of marginalized people are heard.
0: Love it. And and you talk a lot about intersectionality, right? Because you're talking about race, you're talking about gender, you're talking about the queer community. So how all those can come together. Um, But I know for the purposes of our conversation today, we're really going to talk about the LGBTQIA community. The first thing I want to ask you to do, though, for our listeners, is if you can define those letters, because I know that's one roadblock is that people don't understand what all is included in the queer community? So
1: great, no problem. And uh, I love doing this. I I do a a LGBTQIN or gender 101 um, workshop that kind of focuses part of it on this particular question because I'd rather you ask me than to go out and ask somebody that might be offended. And so um, I will give you the the top four letters that most people know LGBT, although there are plenty of other letters for the ways in which people identify. And I wanna just say first that they are identifying markers. They are the same way I identify as being black, but they don't define who a person is. It's identification markers, but it does not define. And so L is lesbian, G is gay, B is bisexual, T is transgender. And I say transgender, not transgender. There's no ED on the end of that. And when And when the plus is added, it means for those who are HIV positive.
0: Oh, I never knew that. I always thought the plus was to include people who identify in other ways. No,
1: that's a a common misconception, but that's not what it is.
0: Oh, that's great. Thank you for, for teaching us that. And I love what you say about this is how I identify, but it does not define me. Absolutely. Um, that, that, and just because I'm one of these letters, that is not the only part of me that I am built up of so many other things. Right.
1: Absolutely. I, um, I identify as a queer person, but I also a black person. I'm also, um, a pastor. I'm also, um, so many other things. I'm also a, a child of parents. I'm also, uh, kind of, a. Uh, a surrogate parent of another person. I'm also a friend. I'm a sister. Um, I'm so many things. I'm, um, I'm a lot of things that, that make up who I am and no one of them by itself can define who I am. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's important um, which we're going to talk about a little bit later about how you can be an ally. But I think that's important to note is see people for the totality of who they Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Not just for a part of who they Absolutely.
1: are. Absolutely. And what happens in, in someone's bedroom doesn't define who they are in all the other times of their lives.
0: Right. And, but can we break that down, though, because those letters don't even necessarily deal with the bedroom, right? Right. right. It's a- we're taught this is, No, you go ahead. I was going to say, this is talking about how you feel, how you're attracted, how you identify. And a lot of times we do put kind of like sexual markers around it, but that's not the full story.
1: Absolutely. It's not. Especially I want to raise up um, for trans folks, trans and non-binary people who exist in places that it's more about how they identify in their gender or lack thereof, versus what happens in a sexual way. And an example of that is that you can be a trans person and be straight or heterosexual. Being trans has nothing to do with what happens in who you're attracted to, nor what happens in your bedroom.
0: It's about how a person identifies who they are.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Listen, you've given us so much knowledge and we haven't even gotten into the official questions yet. (laughs) So let's let's get started in the official questions. This is good. So, you know, of course, this is at the table. We always talk about the table. And so the first question I always ask is, how do you define the table? Well, when
1: you talk about what the table is and people always trying to get a seat at the table. When I think about that, I think about a table of influence and a table of power and a place where decisions are made. And so what's important is that when you're talking about getting a seat at the table, you're talking about places where equity and equality are central. And that's a place where twice too often in the history of this country and in the very present um, reality, people who are marginalized are often not a part of. And so decisions are made and um, things are happening that have to do with them, but don't involve them.
0: Exactly. And so for your audience, which we'll just we'll just say the queer community, what are the tables that they are trying to get to? Well,
1: one place that I can say in particular, um, I spent the majority of my life in Pennsylvania um, as an example for this discussion. And in Pennsylvania, you can still be fired from your job, denied housing, denied services, even if somebody thinks or perceives you as being gay or queer. There is no statewide law against that type of discrimination. To me, that is laws and and decisions being made for the queer community in which they have no say on how things should change or should affect them. That's one place where it's a necessity that queer folks have a seat at the table. Now, what happens is that type of issue gets caught up in bipartisanship and um, how people see or don't see how their faith evolves in decisions. But at the end of the day, it's injustice and it's bigotry. And it's a place where all people, if we are truly created equal, should have an equal voice in such type of dissonance. Mm-hmm.
0: And so we kind of talk about because because we know that there are federal laws, mm-hmm. right? Like we know a few years ago, there were federal laws that opened up the definition of marriage that allowed people to have benefits, right? But so help us understand states still have their own individual laws as it concerns the question. Absolutely.
1: And not only do states have individual laws, the municipalities have laws as well. And so back to the example of um, Pennsylvania, there's no statewide law. So what that does is it affects certain places that happen to be a lot less progressive than others. um, And it really affects those places more heavily. Whereas a, a city like Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, which are the larger anchor cities in that state, they do have protections there. But as soon as you step out of the city limits, and go into the suburbs, that's a whole different story and a whole different reality. And so each that each level of government, there are certain jurisdictions and certain laws that can be made, but they, in some ways, they don't overlap. So it's really important to know how our legal system works in this country and to also be aware that there are erasures happening on every level, too, as it concerns the queer community, especially by the current administration at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah. And when we we're going to talk, I want to come back to this when we talk about the topic of allyship, because I think that this is going to be an important um, piece of being an ally as it comes to government participation. But so when we talk about those tables that you discussed earlier, which is really just equity and equality to be able to live life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, to be able to exist and live life without discrimination what are the barriers that um, queer people tend to face
1: the uh, well, the barriers are quite clear it's um heteronormative patriarchy and bigotry
0: it's hold on wait 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 don't move forward yet let's let's unpack that say that one more heteronormative time
1: heteronormative patriarchy and big and bigotry and okay so in this con- and ahead, it's sorry. this and what i what i mean by that is this idea that Our country, whether we like to admit it or not, or whether we deny it or not, is predicated around a certain sense of quote unquote norm. Anything that is not that norm becomes an issue or a problem and usually gets relegated to the margins. And so the reason why historically people of color, um, people who are queer, people of uh, differing abilities and even women have not always had a seat at the table is because patriarchy demands that men be in charge and not just men, straight men and not just straight men, straight heterosexual Christian men and not just straight heterosexual Christian men, straight heterosexual Christian men that are white and of a certain means. And so when you have that type of um, characteristic that is considered the norm, anything else that's not that is a diversion and an issue and a problem and it continues to marginalize you. And so the further you are away from that particular set of norm in this country, the more difficult it becomes sometimes for you to exist. And so when tables are built in government and and finance and housing and industry and education and so forth and so on, when the norm becomes a certain particular characteristic person, that's what all the systems are based on. And so it makes it extremely hard if you're not a part of that particular dominant group to find
0: your place at the table. Mm -hmm. And so we need the voices of people like you who can help bring these issues to our attention, but then also do something about it. So I'd love to hear What are some of the ways that you help the queer community get to the table and how do you help elevate their voices?
1: Well, I do that
0: prayerfully. I have done that and hopefully
1: I have done that in my lifetime um, thus far in both my public and private life. And so at my job, um, I really make sure or really try to make sure that the voice of the queer folks is not silenced, that things simple as You know, asking um, what pronouns are on applications. It's something so simple that Mm -hmm. I've had a voice in that kind of conversation. Um, Making sure sure that issues that concern the queer community are raised when nobody else is thinking of them. I'm so glad that that, at my job, even though nobody's there right now because of the pandemic, but there is a gender neutral bathroom there. And I'm so glad about that. That means that there is active Mm -hmm. change. That doesn't happen everywhere. In my private life, um, you know, as a person of faith, it's my faith that that pushes me towards areas of justice. I don't believe there is anything that is Jesus without justice. There's justice. There's no faith without justice. Jesus Himself um, gives us examples of what it means to really advocate for those on the margins. And I think that if we are people of faith, then we have to live into that in my particular context. And so. Um, Doing things like I I remember back when I was in Pittsburgh, I started a group, a clergy group that was to be a faith advocacy voice for queer folks. Because, you know, what happens is things like when a black man gets shot at the bus stop, the black community rallies around that. And as we should. And black pastors will speak out and hold rallies and do things and demand justice as we should. However, let that let a person who is queer have the same particular faith and the voice of faith goes silent. And so for me, it was important to kind of really get those particular faith voices that care about the queer community together and one collective voice, so we can make a difference in the city.
0: And this is probably a whole nother episode topic, but, but I'm gonna open it up and let's see where it goes. Because we know that there has long been a battle I don't know if that's the right word but there has been tension between the faith community and the queer and community and what I love about you and the work that you do is that you you're working to bridge that gap. yes you're working to to release some of that tension can you talk to us a little bit about about that because you're absolutely right um there are some faiths which absolutely ban, right? Which will say, you're not welcome here. There are some faiths that say, yes, we welcome everyone. Um, but some people listening to this, they may feel a little bit uncomfortable with that, right? Because of what their faith has taught them. So what do you say? Sure, to them? and I
1: understand that. Um, and
0: not just, just some faith,
1: some governments. <laughs> and um, some you know particular mm-hmm. places where people live say that they believe that To be queer and whatever that means for people is, um, you know, wrong. And for that, I say that I don't believe that. I believe that we're all created in God's image and that, you know, you know, people always say, well, God don't make no mistakes. Exactly. God doesn't make any mistakes because God created me exactly who God created me to be. And that means my entire self, whether it be my brown skin or my queer identity, it's all about who God has created me to be. And so, since God makes no the mistakes, there could not be a mistake or a sin in me living into my truth. Um, for a long time, I struggled with that, and I and I've done research myself because I couldn't. I, I had to. I had to come to a place of agreement and peace within myself about who I was. And so, I've studied the clobber scriptures, which are the six to eight scriptures that people usually use against homosexuality. I've done my research. I've done my work. Because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I wasn't trying to fool myself into thinking it was okay to be who I am and to find myself in a pit of hell, as people say. And that's not what it is. And so I've also been wounded by the church. I've been hurt. I've experienced church hurt even into my adulthood around what it means to be queer. And people said things that um, that I could quote today when around me and over pulpits and in conversations when they didn't even know who I was. I didn't even know. And so my goal in life is to to say that just because, um, you know, some folks believe that who I am, and it is not a lifestyle, it's an identity. Let me be clear about that. That who I am is um, something that keeps me from God. Part of my goal in life is to say that you don't own the rights to God. That my God loves me regardless, or not regardless, excuse me, because of. The fact that I live into who God created me to be. And so it's kind of taking back and switching and remixing the narrative here that, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully created in everything that I am and those who are queer as well. And that you don't have a right to to try to take that from us because you don't agree with our identity. The same thing has happened to interracial couples. The same thing has happened to Black people. The same thing has happened to women be, be quiet in the churches, you know, all these types of things have been used historically, but the, when, when um, truth comes to light, you can't deny it. And the same thing is happening for queer identity in the modern age.
0: And I, again, that, that distinction between identity yes. and lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle.
1: My lifestyle is uh around what my uh, salary brings in, the kind of way I like to dress, the kind of way I like to keep my house, the kind of way I like to keep my car, the kind of way I like to keep myself groomed. That's my lifestyle. My identity and my sexuality and, and my
0: personhood is not my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Great distinction. I want to also go back because you talked a little bit about pronouns as well. Um, and so I know sometimes that that's something that people may need further clarification on. So and this will kind of lead us into the question about being an ally. But talk to us a little bit about pronouns and what's the right way to address someone or figure out how to. Address so great, someone.
1: great question, because that is always a hot topic, a pronoun. Um, I use the program pronouns, they, them theirs. And I use those particular pronouns because I feel like that fits my identity the best. When someone uses she, I don't get mad. I don't stress. Life's too short. But that's me. For some somebody else, that might be very offensive and traumatizing. So people always talk about, you know, I don't understand why we have that discussion about pronouns. In fact, I've had a workshop where someone really pushed back heavy on me as I was leading a workshop about pronouns. And I reminded folks, and I I remind people even now that pronouns are something that is not nothing new. It's something we use in our English language constantly. Mm -hmm. All we're saying is that you use the correct ones for how somebody identifies, that you don't be offensive in how you refer to someone. That's plain and simple. This is especially true for people who um, experience dysphoria or for people who are are trans-identified or gender non-conforming. This becomes a, a particularly important, and it's, and the best way to do that is when you're meeting somebody for the first time. I always like to say, "Hey, I'm Shania, they, them, theirs? How who are you? How are you? What's your name? How can I How can I best address you? There's nothing wrong with a respectful ask. It usually doesn't offend because I would rather you ask me in a respectful way than for you to misgender me in a way that is very detrimental.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you know, I think that's a good tip for anything. I always say, if you wanna know something about someone who's different than you, and if you have have a genuine heart and your intentions are correct, that I don't think it's a problem to ask so that you can gain understanding. Um, Yeah, and so as an ally, I know um, one thing I do is, for instance, in my email signature or perhaps on my LinkedIn profile, I put my pronouns, she, her, hers, Mm -hmm. right? And now I am a cis straight woman, right? So do I need to put my pronouns? Yes or no. How, however, the reason I do that is to Absolutely. show solidarity. And so that we can begin to normalize this conversation of figuring out what everyone's pronouns are so that we can, like you said, address people correctly. Absolutely. I
1: have several colleagues um, who use their uh, pronouns in their signature as well. I do, too. And not only that, I have a link in my signature at work for those folks who don't understand. If you click on my pronouns, it takes you to a page that further explains the usage and why it's important. And that is a form of allyship. Wow, that's good. That type of solidarity is a is a is a quiet form of allyship
0: that doesn't really require you to do much. Right. Let's talk about some other forms of allyship for those people who are listening, who really want to stand again in solidarity with the queer community. They want to make sure that they're being allies. What are some tips? Some things that, that you I can think, get to that? for one, that's huge
1: for me is. Um, it's almost like, you know, about love languages and we, everyone knows about love, the five basic love languages that folks really talk about. Well, mm-hmm. for me, I like to add two. So I think there's more than five. And one of the ones that I add is how you talk about me, how you represent me when I'm not there. For me, that's a love language. And mm. so when we talk about that in, in the yeah. context of allyship, it's how do you how do you really engage on the topic of queerness when there are no queer people in the room Think about when you sit around the table with your relatives at holidays or at Sunday dinner and there's an off um, off color joke made do you engage it in a way that is positive or negative do you ignore it do you stop it in its tracks what do you do? That's one of the ways that's a basic way of really, um, speaking truth to power or speaking truth to to really negativity and bigotry and being an ally even when nobody is around that is a part of that community that's super important because that's how the stuff starts at home i've heard care kids say things like oh that's so gay well where are you getting that from if you seven, if you seven, mm-hmm. eight, where are you getting that from you're yeah. getting that from home and you're getting that from peers. And the way in which we can, we can combat that is to have conversations around the, uh, our homes and around tables where people we love have conversations and make jokes. Especially to, number two is like really having conversations with your kids about equity, inequality, and um, inclusivity. And what does it mean to start your kids off in a way that is loving and open to all people? That's another way in which we can do that. And then the third way is, to, is to, to do something to support queer people who are trying to make a difference when it comes to justice issues. Not every, I have tons of allies for the work I've done over the years, straight, and some people who are queer who just don't want to be identified. And one of the ways in which they've stepped up to help the work that I've done is to to do the work in the background. They've supported me by coming to rallies. They've supported by giving. They've supported by letter writing. They've supported by showing up in other ways or even making connections because they are in a seat of power that can connect me to someone that can make a difference. And so things like that matter mm-hmm. when it comes to allyship. And I, and I say that because in some ways, this is, um, is a a part of the modern day civil rights movement. And if you look back to our predecessor of civil rights movements in the 50s and 60s, none of that work could have been done effectively without the help of allyship, point blank, hands down. Yeah. You needed allies. Yes, And it is the yes. same thing and
0: true for today. <laughs> Wonderful. What about I want to also talk about from a legislative process, from a voting process, because, as you mentioned, there are federal laws, there are state laws, there are municipal laws. So how do people get involved? Your vote matters.
1: If you're voting for a candidate who, you know, is against the issues uh, or against the queer community and issues that affect the queer community, how are you casting your vote? Your vote determines where you put your allegiance. And so I would caution people to really do their research before you do a straight party vote or to really just vote because somebody else is doing it. Really examine if you're going to be an ally, where does this person stand on the issues? That's where your vote matters. And if there's something on the ballot that concerns the queer community, really um, make sure that your voice is heard. How can you share with others around that issue? Or how can you not only just go into the, the booth, but make sure that others, when they go into the booth, Or, or however, it is you vote, how are they making sure that they're voting in a way that's not only progressive but inclusive of all God's people?
0: Wonderful, Shania. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure today, and thank you for all of the knowledge you dropped. Um, I think we can all walk away from this conversation a little bit smarter. We have some tools on how we can stand in solidarity with our with our queer brothers and sisters. As can I, I pause like you on that? Um, Shania, Fur- can
1: I can I encourage yes. you or uh, offer you to use the term queer siblings? Because not
0: everybody not everybody identifies as brothers yeah. and sisters. I love it. See, we're learning <laughs> even to the very end of this of this podcast. Thank you. So yes, and giving us tips and how we stand in solidarity with our queer siblings. I love that. Shania, for anyone who would like to get in touch with you or learn more about the work that you're doing, what's the best way? The best way, way they
1: can contact me is to, um, I, my easiest email is my work email, shania, S-H-A-N-E-A dot Leonard, my last name, L-E-O-N-A-R-D at PCUSA.org. Um, And also, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, I'm around. Uh, Twitter, Judah Fellowship is the church that I started and pastored in Pittsburgh, but it's also a church I'm still connected to. And currently, during this pandemic, I'm still pastoring. So um, feel free to contact me through Judah Fellowship in Pittsburgh as well. Or like I said, my email is shania.leonard at peaceusa.org. Thank you. Again, thank you for joining us at the table.
0: And for our and for our listeners, thank you for listening in. We'll talk about it. Bye you everybody. Next week. To learn more, check out at the table with and subscribe so you can get notified each week when a new episode drops.